All right. Well, again, we want to welcome you here this morning. And for those of you who didn't travel over this Labor Day, uh, long three days. Notice I didn't say weekend because the weekend's over. Remember that. Don't forget the weekend ends on Saturday. It's the weekend. This is the Lord's Day, the first day of the week. So, But these three days, that means people take advantage of to get out of town, those who have money and time. So that means the rest of us left here have no money or time, I guess, right, to do that. Or we're just boring. I don't know which one it is. But, uh, or we're just busy. Uh, who knows? But uh, we're glad you're here this morning, and we're praying for those who are away from us this morning, um, traveling and uh, spending time with family or doing something else. Well, we are in a series on the book of Acts. And I'd ask you to take your Bibles now and turn to chapter 8 of the book of Acts as we pick up where we left off last week. Um, the, the title for the series of the, the book of Acts is uh, The Mission of God. And uh, surely we have seen that God is on a mission in this book. And this morning we're going to be covering verses 25 through 40. Finish up uh, chapter 8, Lord willing, this morning. And the title of the message this morning is A Faith that does save. Last week we looked at a faith that does not save. This week a faith that does save. Subtitle, salvation to the remotest part of the earth. A faith that does save, salvation to the remotest part of the earth. I'm going to read our passage this morning, verses beginning to verse 25 down through 40, and then we'll um, ask the Lord to help us not only understand it, but to apply it and then get into the passage. Beginning in verse 25, so when they had saw me testified, and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south of the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So he got up and went, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you are reading? And he said, Well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of Scripture which he was reading was this, He was led as a sheep to a slaughter, and as a lamb before it shears is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch answered Philip and said, Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this? Of whom, or of, someone, of himself, or of someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from the scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And as they went along the road, they came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop. And they both went down into the water, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. When they come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on, but went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus, and as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. Let's pray. Lord, we do ask you to do what only you can do. You would open our hearts and minds to understand your word, and Lord, you would bring about change through your word this morning. Conform us more and more into the image of your dear son, Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. I want you to do something with me. I want you to look up here for a second. I want you to look at these two Bibles, okay? Here's one. Here's the other. All right? These two Bibles here. All right. So this was actually my first Bible. 
Um, besides, I think a little children's Bible was given to me. I still have it. I think it was given to me second or third day. Th third grade, not second or third day. Yeah, I started reading my third day of life. Uh, second or third grade, I had trouble reading all the way through high school, so that was no way I was going to read it in second or third day. But uh, so th this is the Bible I used to preach out of. And, um, but So anybody see any similarities between these Bibles? What's the similarities? It's okay. You can. They're both a book. Okay, what else? They both have a cover, okay? Same shape, what's that? They're thick, okay? Yeah, one's thicker than another, but they're both kind of thick. Both well used. Both well used, okay? The text is the same, yeah? Both contain the Word of God, and, and, and they're both mine, all right? One's from when I was younger, one from now, when I'm older. Uh, so what are some uh, differences between them? One's larger, okay, what else? Larger print. I'm not sure about that, but I'm going that way. Yes, I need one. I, I saw the eye doctor, and he, he, he encouraged me to get cheaters. Can you believe that? I'm, uh, well, I, I guess I shouldn't have, huh? But uh, what else? Color? Right? One's calf skin. Okay, good. What's that? Okay, there's a different version, yeah. yeah. There's a different version, but you can't really see that. You don't know that that's a different version from there. Come on. All right, but uh, yeah, and, and there is a difference in, 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 in the cover. One is genuine calfskin leather. Now, if, you've ever, if you ever felt my Bible, you would want to read the Bible. It's like soft. You're like, oh, man, what's in this thing, right? And this is imitation. I'm not sure what, okay? This is not, not that our church growing up gave cheap Bibles, but they gave kids these Bibles when they got to a certain age. And, and it's, it's imitation leather. And I promise you right now, it is not nearly, it doesn't feel nearly as nice as uh, the one I have now. Um, so which physical Bible do you think used the same amount of time in the same environment would last longer. Which one? Calfskin, genuine leather, or plastic? All right. What do you, which one do you think is going to last longer? I just said the same environment and the same time use. Exactly the same. Everybody would say the genuine leather is going to last longer. All right. This thing. I've got other Bibles that kind of had the same kind of, and the cover's gone, the binding's gone. I didn't use this one a whole lot because I couldn't read real well. And then I got older and got other Bibles, and, and, and it was gone. And, 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 but this, this, this Bible here, I think, is about seven years old now. I use it every day. And that cover is still soft, all right? It's still holding up because it's genuine leather. It's made of better material. And, and, and having a physical Bible that, that lasts, um, it, it's important, but it's not an issue of salvation. What kind of physical Bible that you have, is it? I've got a nice le leather one. I've got a, uh, a not leather one or imitation leather or hardback. I mean, it doesn't have anything to do with your salvation, what kind of Bible you have. It doesn't determine your eternal destiny. However, having a faith that does save as opposed to a faith that does not save has significant difference for eternity, doesn't it? Whether you truly have trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and make yourself right with God, or you've pretended to, to get some power, position, or just be part of a club, has eternal weight of difference, doesn't it? One will get you in the presence of God forever and ever and ever, and one will send you to hell forever and ever and ever. They're different. And they matter. 
Which do you have? Do you have a faith that saves? Or do you have a faith that does not save? It's very important. And last week we examined the faith that does not save. And this week we will examine the faith that does save. And as I told you, there's a huge contrast here. Always looking at the context. Always seeing why did he lay these two stories side by side. It's important because it helps interpret both stories, both accounts in the scripture to understand what the author is trying to communicate. One faith saves, the other does not. So as we approach these verses 25 through 40 here in chapter 8 this morning, let's remember the context here of the overall book and also the chapter that we find this in. Uh, first, let's, let's remember the context of the book of Acts or the, the theme of the book of Acts. And we're reminded of this when we look in chapter 1, verse 8 again. But this is Jesus speaking to his disciples um, as, right before he ascends to the right hand of the Father. Acts 1, 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the remotest part of the earth. That's the theme. This 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 is what runs all through Acts. It's the mission of God for the church to take the good news to people who are all over the world, the message about Jesus that makes them right with God, that forgives their sins and brings them back into right relationship with God. That's the message of the book of Acts. People from every tribe and tongue and nation. And um, the fulfillment of this Acts 1.8 begins very early. Chapter 2. We're in Jerusalem for Pentecost. And the Holy Spirit comes upon the apostles and others. And they begin sharing the gospel in all these different languages to get the gospel out. But it happens right there in Jerusalem first. And people come to a saving faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and Judea. And then what happens because the church has exploded in growth the Jewish leaders look at this and they're not excited about it at all they're really mad about it so what do they begin to do they begin to persecute the church remember first they just warned them and then they imprisoned them and beat them and then eventually they start killing Christians starting with Stephen it begins to escalate because the mission of God is starting to be accomplished in the world and people don't like it but the mission is being accomplished. Then look at the beginning of chapter 8 there. Back in verse 1 of chapter 8. Look what it says. After it says that Saul was hardly agreement about putting him to death. Speaking of Stephen. Look what it says. The rest of the verse. And on that day a great persecution began against the church in Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Except the apostles. The great persecution brought about the scattering of the church. Oh no. They're tearing the church apart. It'll never last, will it? Well, look at verse 4. Therefore, those who had been scattered, these people who had been scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, went about preaching the word. I love that. The persecution brought about the fulfillment of the plan. It brought about the continued fulfillment of the mission of God. Then we see Philip preaching the gospel in Samaria there in verse 5, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. So you see, in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, look what's happening. God's mission is being fulfilled. 
Even, yet even though there was this great outpouring of people in Samaria who came to a true saving faith in, in Jesus, we met a guy last week named Simon, Simon the sorcerer, Simon the magician, and he didn't have a saving faith. In fact, all that he wanted to be a part of the church for was to regain his power and his position. He lost it when Philip came to town because all of a sudden the real God came to town preaching the one true divine God-man. You see, they thought he was one who had great power. They thought he was the great one, a, a divine man. Yet he wasn't, and, pre, and, and Philip came with the truth of the gospel, and he wanted some of that power. He wanted to get it back because he had lost his audience. And he shows himself all through the passage. He does not have a say, faith that saves. So we're going to see this contrast between a faith that saves and doesn't this morning. We're also going to see how the gospel has not only gotten to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, but also how it gets to the remotest parts of the earth. Right here in our passage today. Now the rest of Acts, it'll take it to even further in other Gentile nations, but we're going to see how it gets to the remotest, and at this point in this time, the, what they felt was the remotest part of the world. Alright, so this brings us here to, to where we're at today. And I, I'm just, as we look at Acts 8 today, um, and seek to understand God's word. I'm going to point out four major truths concerning salvation. I'm just going to give them to you up front. Just in case I forget them. Alright? No, those who'd like to take notes. Here they are. Here's the four. The four major truths concerning salvation in this passage. The initiator of salvation. The initiator of salvation. Secondly, the presentation of salvation. Thirdly, the response to salvation. And fourthly, the results of salvation. We'll see that as we walk down through this passage. Let's begin there in verse 25 again um, of Acts chapter 8. So when they had saw me testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem and were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Peter and John, they, they, who had been called to confirm God's work of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ among the Samaritans, they've been called from Jerusalem. They came to Samaria, confirmed that, Yes, God is working just here just like he did in, on the day of Pentecost. And he's changing people from the inside out. They head back to Jerusalem, preaching as they go. All right, now look at verse number 26. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Get up and go south to the road of descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. So notice that, that word there at the beginning of verse 26. But, but, there's a contrast. So Peter and John go back to Jerusalem. But, Philip doesn't go back to Jerusalem. He, he's given different instructions. Uh, he was instructed to go to this place called Gaza, um, specifically a desert road in that place. It was a desert road because Gaza had been destroyed in the first century B.C. There was no longer a Gaza to go visit. It was just a road that people used coming from the south to get Jerusalem because it was southwest of Jerusalem. So he's north of Jerusalem in Samaria and, and he's told to go southwest to this place called Gaza, this desert road. And that's all he knows right now. He's just told to go. And that's what he does. So why would God send Philip to this desert road in Gaza? After all, he was having a pretty fruitful, successful ministry in Samaria, wasn't he? I mean, lots of people were coming to faith in Christ. It was amazing what was happening in his fruitful ministry there in Samaria. There wasn't even a city in Gaza. What was God thinking? Who is he going to evangelize? There's nobody in Gaza. Just people maybe passing through, but he didn't have a city. 
to whom would Philip minister in that place? Now notice Philip's response, of course, to the Lord's command to go at the beginning there, verse 27. He says, so he got up and went. I love that. How many of you all have a hard time with that? When the Lord tells us to do something, clearly tells us to do something from his word, how, how often is there's like five other verses before we get to, so he got up and went? All right, I'm with you. Sometimes we hesitate. We make excuses. We've been reading about Moses early on, right? In Exodus, he had all kinds of excuses. Well, it doesn't seem to indicate here that Philip had any excuses. Uh, again, the Lord hadn't even told him why he was going there. He went because he was committed to being part of the mission of the church. That's why he went. He was committed to what's happening here in the book of Acts. He's a part of it. God doesn't do things in the vacuum. He uses people. And Philip understood he was a part of that, so he goes. And if we are committed to the mission of the church, then we too will go where the Lord sends us, even if it doesn't make earthly sense. Even if it seems like we're involved in a fruitful ministry where we are, if the Lord leads us somewhere else, you better go. You better go. Now, I remember back when I was working on staff of Fellowship Christian Athletes, I was probably five years, three or four years into it, and a buddy of mine called me from San Diego. You ever been to San Diego? I mean, it's like the exact opposite weather of here. No humidity, sunny, 75, year-round. And he offered me a job with FCA in San Diego. Ooh, man. Man. It was, and he kept calling back. I, I'm praying about it. We're talking about it. And he, he, I remember the weather here. The weather here. I mean, he just kept bringing that up. You know, a good friend. He's still, uh, he's actually, I think, the, 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 the um, chief operating officer of FCA now. But he kept telling me that. And we prayed about it and sought counsel and just didn't, even though it was really attractive, San Diego part, we didn't believe that's where the Lord was calling us. So I called him back. I said, you know, as nice as the weather is there, Donnie, it would feel like hell if I went where God didn't call me. Right? And here, and things were going well there at FCA and things I'm sure would have gone well there too. But here, here's a guy... He goes because the Lord has called clearly, no matter what the circumstances would be there or what they were where he was. And that's the issue. Well, we go where God calls us, regardless of what the circumstances are. Well, beginning here, uh, the, the rest of verse 27, we see why God would take Philip away from Samaria and send him to God. So look what it says. After it says he got up and went, then it says, And there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. And he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Why would God send Philip to this desert road in Gaza? Because he had divine important, an appointment for Philip to meet this man from Ethiopia. That's why. Just one guy. Just one guy. That's it. One guy. He sends him for one guy on the road to Gaza. That's it. One guy. An Ethiopian eunuch. I, w I so wish that, and I'll go ahead and make this announcement, that, that Bizon was here. Bizon's from Africa. He's from the Ivory Coast. And this Ethiopian eunuch's from Africa. He's a black man. If you, I mean, figure, this is Bizon, if you know Bizon. All right? And Bizon and his wife had their second child this week. Little boy Noah on Tuesday night. Healthy and I'm sure good looking little boy ready to go. He's seven high in the seven pounds, seven six or seven eight or something like that, Bizon told me. So but here we have a guy from Africa. And the Lord sends Philip specifically to meet this guy right here. And you'll see it in this passage. Well, Ethiopia, again, was, was part of Africa. It was south of Egypt and part of what was called the Nubian kingdom of the time. It doesn't correspond exactly with modern-day Ethiopia. 
Okay? It would include a little bit of the northern part of Ethiopia and what we know as the Sudan. That was the Nubian kingdom, which was kind of all known as Ethiopia at this time when this happened. It also included a, a, a place referenced in the Old Testament, a place called Cush. All right? and, and why is that significant? Here's why that's significant. Because God, the, uh, because, because God had promised that when the Messiah came, he would institute the new covenant and redeem people from all over the world, including a place called Cush. And you're like, yeah, prove it. Great, I'm glad you asked. Here we go. All right, look what it says in Isaiah 11, 11. Then it will happen on that day that the Lord will again recover the second time with his hand the remnant of his people who will remain from Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, Cush, Ethiopia. All right, Elam, Shinar, Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. Also, another prophecy about the, about the Christ coming and the results of that in Zephaniah 3, 9 through 11. For then I will give to the people purified lips that all of them may call in the name of the Lord to serve him shoulder to shoulder from beyond the rivers of Ethiopia. My worshipers, my dispersed ones, will bring my offerings. I mean, if that doesn't give you chills, maybe you don't get chills. I don't know. But, I mean, that's amazing what's happening here. He's coming from Ethiopia. And God says he's going to bring people from Ethiopia to the Messiah. And that's exactly what's happening here. Does God keep his promises? You bet. And nothing can keep him from keeping his promises. And I love that because often we would keep him, if we could, from keeping his promises, if we're honest. We would try to thwart the work of God, but we can't, thankfully. Well, this is why he is sent to, Ethiopia, to, to, to the desert uh, road in Gaza. This is why Philip is sent there. So here we see the first major truth concerning salvation. The initiator of salvation. The Lord is the initiator of salvation. It was not Philip's idea to go to Gaza. Remember that. He was having a successful, fruitful ministry in Samaria. Why would he ever want to go to the desert plate called Gaza? It wasn't his idea. It was God's idea. This is always the case when it comes to salvation. The Bible says we do not seek God. Romans chapter 3. He seeks after us. We only respond to his initiation of seeking us. Jesus made this clear in John 6, 44, when he said, No one can come to, the Father and let, come, come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. You know what no one means in the Greek? Help me. No one. No one can come unless they're drawn. God is the initiator of salvation. If we were the initiator of salvation, guess who would get the glory? Not God. We would. Oh man, I'm so smart, I figured it out. We don't figure it out until God breaks through and opens our heart to the gospel. And you see that all through the book of Acts, all through the New Testament. Well, now, now what else do we know about this man from Ethiopia? The Lord was so committed to rescuing from the grips of sin. Think about that. God was committed to rescuing this man from the grips of sin. What else do we know about him? Look at verse 27. There was an Ethiopian unit, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, charge of her treasure, and came to Jerusalem to worship. So we see he's a eunuch. That means he was castrated. And if you need to understand what that is, go look that up on the internet when you get home, okay? Um, which would which allow him to be focused in his work and not on his physical appetites. In fact, eunuchs were very treasured in the Oriental, ancient Oriental world because they would not be distracted. They could be trusted is what was thought. If they were, if they were a eunuch, if they were being castrated, they could be trusted because they weren't 
uh, taken away by other desires. They were just there to serve. All right? He was the trustee of Candace. I mean, he, he was a trustee of her treasure. He was a treasurer of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians. Now, Candace was like Pharaoh. It's a title, not a name. So there's multiple Candaces in, the, in, in this kingdom that came along um, because that was the title of the queen, Candace. It also says that he came to Jerusalem to worship. Somehow, through the dispersion of the nation of Israel throughout the world because of persecution, the God of Israel and the message of the Old Testament had made it to Ethiopia. So here you have this Ethiopian eunuch who is a, high up in the government, has heard about the God of Israel and become a worshiper of the God of Israel. And has gone to Jerusalem to worship and is on his way back. Okay, now, now, now think about this. He could not have been a, a full proselyte, a proselyte because he was a eunuch. And eunuchs were excluded from being part of the nation of Israel based upon Deut Deuteronomy 23.1. However, he came to worship. It says a lot about the fact that he was serious about his worship of the God of Israel, Right? We do know that. He, may, he wasn't a proselyte, but he was maybe sometimes what they call later in, in, in Acts, a God-fearer, which is often mentioned of Gentiles. Um, but look at, look at verse 28. And he was returning, sitting in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet of Isaiah. Not only had he gone to Jerusalem to worship, but listen to what happened. He has a copy of a scroll, and at least we know it, it contains Isaiah. Do you know how hard it was to come by a scroll? You had had some means and some influence to get a scroll. Possibly, he went to Jerusalem and he bought this scroll while he was there. But remember, he's the treasurer of Candace. He's got some pull. He's got some money to be able to buy this. It was important enough that he wanted a copy of what he knew as the Word of God, right? And we know at least he had parts of the book of Isaiah, if not all of it, maybe more, even more than Isaiah, but he has this. No doubt the Lord was doing something in the heart of this man. He was initiating this, initiating this divine important with a man named Philip who would bring the full truth about how a man could be made right with God. Listen to this. Even for a eunuch. Even for a eunuch. He could be made right with God. Well now look at verses 29 through 35 with me. And it's in these verses we're going to find the second major truth that sticks out at least to me in this passage concerning salvation. The presentation of salvation. Look at verse 29 and 30. Then the Spirit said to Philip, Go up and join this chariot. Philip ran up and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and said, Do you understand what you are reading? The Spirit of the Lord said, Go. And what did Philip do? He goed. No, he went. Right? He went. The Spirit said, go, and he went. That's just, this, is, this is par for the course for Philip, as we already know. It says in verse 30 that he ran up. Look at the enthusiasm with which he obeyed. He ran up to this chariot, which, which just shows that in eagerness to present the truth of God. And while running up, Philip heard him reading aloud. Okay, because that was the cut. He says he heard him reading, right? Or he was reading, and Philip must have heard him because that was the customary to read at the time. You didn't sit down and read quietly. You read out loud, even if you were by yourself. Have you ever tried that? I'll tell you what, you'll retain a lot more if you read out loud than you do just skimming through it. You do. When I used to study, and I, had, I was not a, a naturally gifted student, so in college I learned some tricks to help me retain things. And one of those things was just to read out loud. I began to read out loud. My roommates hated it. 
And in my last two years, I didn't have any roommate. Maybe there's a reason for that. I don't know. But, but I read out loud. It helped me retain. So he's reading out loud. And, and th then um, Philip asked this great question. Do you understand what you're reading? We need to listen to that kind of question, don't we? We need to take Philip's lead and ask questions like that. Do you understand what you are reading? The Ethiopian responds in verse 31 with, Well, how could I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now, don't get the picture wrong. This chariot wasn't, you know, like you see... Um, in like those movies and there's a Roman chariot all gold and stuff like that. I don't think that was the kind of chariot it was. I think it's probably a lot more humble. But he does get up and he begins to ride along in this wagon, chariot, whatever you want to call it. Um, now this shows and he says, I, I, I want to know, can, can you explain this to me? I got to know. I can't understand it. Someone has to help me. It shows that the Lord was at work in his life. Also notice that he wants to hear and learn from what? The Word of God. He wants to hear and learn from the Word of God. He, he asked for help because he wants the truth. Simon, before him, wanted power. He didn't want the truth. There's a big difference. Now, I'm all for apologetics. You know what apologetics are? Kind of the modern definition of apologetics to, to answering sincere questions. Uh, sometimes they start with the existence of God and they've got all these arguments to prove the existence of God. And that's good. I'm all for it. And sometimes in my conversations with people initially, that's where I may begin, have to begin. Uh, sometimes we, we talk about a moral law and, and this, this intellectually you have to come to the fact there is, has to be a moral law and there has to, if there's a moral law, there must be a moral law. Given. There has to be a standard somewhere. And you begin to talk about all these different things in apologetics. Um, um, and however, apologetics will never save anyone from their sins. Do you know that? Here, here's what happens if you prove the existence of God and somebody goes, oh yeah, I believe there's a God now. And you stop right there. Guess what? They go to hell believing there's a God. That's all it did. It didn't change them from the inside out. They just intellectually now believe there's a God. Most people in the world still believe that there's a God, at least some kind of God. Right? But if that's all that we get them to, we're in trouble. We've got to go beyond that because apologetics don't save people. They're saved from their sin through the Spirit-empowered Word of God. That's the only means by which people are saved from their sin is through the Spirit-empowered Word of God. This is what Paul, when he wrote the Church of Rome in Romans 16, he says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it, it, the gospel, is the power of God for salvation. To all who believe, the Jew first and also the Greeks. The gospel which is contained in the Word of God. In fact, the whole Word of God from Genesis to Revelation is the gospel. It's good news. All of it is good news. That's where it saves people. God uses this. Look what it says. For it is the power of God for salvation. Not apologetics. And there's a place for those. Please don't hear me that, saying that. Don't go tell Kurt. I just said that. Okay, Tyler? We had a guy, part of our body. He's got his, his master's. He's a pastor in Alvin now. His master's in apologetics. I know Kurt doesn't believe that either. But he's very, he's very gifted in that. But that doesn't save people. It may help you in your conversation to get them to the Word of God. See, Psalm 19 has two parts. The first part says the heavens declare the glory of God, right? And talks about all the amazing things in creation. And they declare the glory of God. But that's just one part of it. The second part talks about the Word of God, and the Word of God brings salvation. It brings a pure heart. 
We've got to have the Word of God to tell us. See, if all we know is that there's a Creator. And we look, oh man, look at that tree. Amazing design. Look at how that thing works. We, we look at the different creations in the ocean. We look, that's amazing. Only a God could create that. We, we look at all of these wonderful things that God has given. And they're meant for us to say that. But if we stop there, creation cannot tell someone they're in sin and need for a Savior. Creation can never tell anyone that. That's why there's a second half of Psalm 19 because the Word of God tells people that. And that's what the Word of God does. It changes people from the inside out. When a person has no interest in the Word of God, then they are not ready to embrace God's way of salvation through faith in Jesus. And sometimes we just have to move on. That's tough. But we can't twist somebody's arm if they're not ready, can we? And usually when, when my conversations with people, especially when I got them cornered on an airplane, okay, and they ask me what I do. I mean, it's like saying sick them to a dog, okay? Um, and I get to tell them, and I get to get... Sometimes I start with a conversation. What, what do you believe? You know, whatever it is. And we have a conversation. But it, often when I bring up the Word of God, the walls go up. And they go back to their magazine or whatever else it is. They, don't, they, don't, they just don't want to continue. But often, sometimes, they, oh, wow, really? I didn't know that. Well, what else does it say? And now they're open to the Word of God. And I know God's working in this situation. And, he, and obviously God was working in this situation here with Philip in Ethiopia. Well, now look at verse, uh, beginning of verse 32 with me. And we're going to read down through verse 34. Now the passage of Scripture, which he was reading, was this. He was led as a sheep to slaughter, and as a lamb before his shears is silent, so he does not open his mouth. In humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Who will relate his generation? For his life is removed from the earth. The eunuch has been reading where? In Isaiah 53. Here specifically quoted in verses 7 and 8. Most likely he had been reading the whole chapter. Um, he didn't just pick out verses 7 and 8. Oftentimes we do our Bible study, right? What do you want to tell me, God? And we do that. I believe he was reading all of Isaiah 53. It's just this was recorded here to give us context. And, and Isaiah 53 is no doubt the most clear and complete of all Old Testament passages about the explanation of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ in one place. Isaiah 53. Philip could not have chosen a better passage to present to him himself. If he would have been reading nothing and he pulled out his pamphlet of Isaiah 53, is probably what he would have done. That was the best place to take this guy to explain him the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is Isaiah 53. The Lord obviously had gone before Philip to prepare this man for what Philip was getting ready to do. Now look at verse 35. Then Philip opened his mouth and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. Philip took this, this passage of scripture, Isaiah 53, and no doubt others. Because what it says, it says, and beginning from this scripture... He didn't just show him in Isaiah 53. He showed him probably all throughout the scripture and preached Jesus to him. He explained to him. He asked, who is this about? The author or somebody else? What does he say? He preached Jesus to him. He's explained that this is all about Jesus. Now I want to show you something here. Just gra grab your Bibles and look at Isaiah chapter 56. And this is a possibility. I'm not, don't quote me as saying this is definitely what happened, okay? But Look at chapter 56 of Isaiah. This is just a few chapters after Isaiah 53. And we know that the eunuch had Isaiah 53. He's reading it out loud. And, 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 and Philip is explaining it to him. But look at verse 56. I mean chapter 56 verses 3 through 5. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. Nor let the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. 
For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths and choose what pleases me and hold fast my covenant. To them I will give in my house and within my walls a memorial, a name better than that of sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name which will not be cut off. Maybe the eunuch was reading this too. He wondered, how in the world can I be part of God's kingdom? Because everybody else has cut me off. And here comes Philip. Let me tell you. Let me tell you what God has done so that even eunuchs can be part of his kingdom. I don't know that for sure. That's a good possibility. But wherever we are, whether we're a eunuch, I don't think we have any in here, but if we think we're the lowest part of society and everybody else has rejected us, guess what? The gospel is for you too. And Philip came preaching that gospel. And that's what we're called to do as well. It's for all people, all kinds of people from all over the world. And he preached the gospel to him. He taught this Ethiopian eunuch that God was the holy creator of all. And that God called all of us to be holy. And he also taught him through the Old Testament scriptures. He could go right to Isaiah 53. And teach him we've all sinned. And our sin separates us from God. We don't meet God's holy standard. And then from the Old Testament's even Isaiah 53, he could teach that God sent his son to die as a substitute for our sin. And then even from the Old Testament, he could teach him that we must respond to that call to place our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. To repent from self-trust and self-righteousness and by faith trust in Christ's righteousness so we might be right, right with him. Surely he included at least that, and my guess is a whole lot more. He was on his way riding in this chariot, and in beginning from Isaiah 53. I mean, he was a long-winded preacher, amen? All right? Beginning from Isaiah 53, he preached Jesus to him. Not only is God the initiator of salvation, but he is also intimately involved in the presentation of salvation, working in the heart of both the messenger and the recipient. God's at work. Now look at verse 36 with me. Down through 38. As they went along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And, be, and he answered and said, I believe that Jesus is Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip, Philip as well as the eunuch, and he baptized him. So in these words, we see the third major tr truth concerning salvation in this passage. The response to salvation. There must be a personal response to obey the message of the gospel. Which is to repent and believe. Obviously, in Philip's presentation of salvation, he also instructed the Ethiopian about what? Baptism. How else would he have known? But in that long-winded sermon, he talked about baptism as well. Jesus had commanded that all those who trusted in him as Savior were to be baptized as evidence of their faith in him for salvation from sin. Showing that he had indeed responded in faith, he asked to be baptized. He said, oh, okay, cool. If that's what I'm supposed to do, if I might, this, this, is, this outward sign of his inward change, if Jesus said to be baptized, I'm in. I love people like that. Don't you? We got a lot of people like that in this room today. I still think about still still think about Clint Rupley and Brittany and when God changed her heart a few years ago and when I started talking about baptism. Clint goes, I'm in. Brittany says, I'm in. That's what the Lord says. Well, I'm in. I like I am. I'm in people. That's the way we all should be. 
And that's the Ethiopian eunuch. He says, oh, that's it? Count me in? Not, well, you know, let me read about the five different views of baptism. And let me really ponder this in my heart and study this for another ten years before I obey. Just be baptized and figure out all the rest of that later. And it's not maybe that simple, but just, just it's, it, 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 it's clear. And he responded in faith. He was a believer. Then he responded. Notice that believer's baptism. After he believed, he was baptized. Now, I love this. The Lord in this desert place. It's a desert. Where in the world does water come from? Look, there's water over there. I love that. It's right along. Is God at work here? Now, was that maybe the only pond or the only body of water right there in this desert place? Maybe. Or God could have just said, whoop, water. He could have. Either way, they're riding along. He's reading Isaiah 53. He's got the track right in front of him, how to be saved. God brings this guy named Philip along. He explains it to him. He responds in faith. He says, one of those things you need to show what's happening in your heart is be baptized because Jesus commanded it. He says, okay, I'm in. Boom, there's water. All by accident, right? Dumb luck. No, God is at work. This is amazing. We shouldn't be amazed, but it is amazing. Now notice too, I'm not going to go deep into this. We can do this another time. But in verse 38, it says they both went down into the water. Verse 39 says they came up out of the water. This more than insinuates baptism is by immersion. Not to mention the word baptize means to immerse. Surely no... Uh, surely here, they both, because they're in a desert place, would have had water to drink, Right? I mean, this is an Ethiopian unit. I bet he had gallons of water on this long trip from Ethiopia up there. And on the way back, he'd probably stocked up with water again. They could have just pulled some water out and done pouring or sprinkling or whatever they wanted to do with the water they had. Think about this. That's enough said. All right, about this. But I believe Scripture, and this is just strengthens the fact that, that baptism is by immersion. Because all that it represents, that's the only thing ever presented in the book of Acts or the New Testament. Let's move on. All right. The key here is the Ethiopian responds in repentance and faith. That's the key. And all of us must do so as well. Now before we move on to the last thing, I want to go ahead and, and make mention about verse 37. A lot of your Bibles will have a, a, a little asterisk by it. It'll be in brackets in verse 37. Why is that? Because in the oldest manuscripts, that verse is not contained. I mean, the ones that are earliest dated to the closest writing of Acts, it's not contained there. It's thought to be added by a, a scribe um, later on. Now, don't me, oh gosh, oh man, this is terrible. Most likely because of the, if you read Acts and you go back to Acts 2, they, resp they, they, they responded in faith and this became, if you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Now, is there anything heresy about that? No. That's taught through all, all the New Testament, right? There's nothing heresy about what's written. It's just not contained in the oldest manuscripts, the ones that are closest to the date of the writing of Acts. We, you could take that out and keep reading, and it doesn't change the meaning of what happened. All right, so i just go ahead and tell you that. Don't lose faith in your English Bibles. They're very good, all right? We're all okay, all right? Didn't change anything that just happened. But I know a lot of you, I know a lot of you, all right, are, are inquisitive. You know, well, why is that bracket there? Well, that's why. And it's okay. All right, let's go and move on. All right, in verse 39 and 40, we find the fourth major truth concerning salvation, the results of salvation. Um, look at verse 39. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch no longer saw him, but went on his way rejoicing. The Spirit of the Lord takes Philip away, and the, 
it says it's snatching wasted. Some, some, somehow miraculous. I read one guy said, well, you know, Philip probably just walked away and then he ended up in, in someplace else. The word snatched is not walked away. All right? That's the whole lot different than walking away. God miraculously just takes him out of the scene. And this poor Ethiopian, he's a brand new believer, baby believer, and he's gone. Philip's gone. Oh no, what's he going to do? No one to disciple him. God can never use him, could he? Now I'm all about discipleship, and you know that. I think it's important a new believer has someone come alongside them and help them grow. But did he have someone? He just had the Holy Spirit. Man, terrible, huh? God the Holy Spirit lived inside of him. Now this is not the normal, and it's not even what's portrayed throughout the book of Acts. But this is what happened. And notice his response. Oh gosh, where did Philip go? No, it says he went away rejoicing. Why did he go away rejoicing? Because that's a natural response of someone whose sin has been forgiven and been made right with God. This, this is a sign of salvation in the life of someone. Rejoicing. Not happiness, but joy. Because something's happened on the inside. Now they're made right with God. The very thing that he wondered about, the eunuch. How would this ever happen that God would bring them into his family? Now he knows. He rejoices. Because that's the result of salvation. Now look at verse 40. But Philip, contrast, found himself in Azotus, and as he passed, which is an old place called Ashdod, which was a historical Old Testament site as well. And as he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all the cities until he came to Caesarea. The Lord took Philip out of Gaza and put him into Azotus, 20 miles north of Gaza. Now why did he do that? He, look what just happened. Maybe he could just have like a ministry, a roadside ministry. I mean, he just set up a booth, you know, answer you three questions. And they just start walking up. Do you know where you're going? You're going to die? Do you know for sure you're going to go to heaven? I mean, he could just have done that and had just tremendous ministry. Look what just happened. But God takes him out of there and he goes 20 miles north. And what does he do? He keeps right on preaching the gospel. Because it's not about where we are. It's about the message that we have. Wherever we are. To take to the world. Because he didn't rest on his loyals because the gospel needed to get to the whole world. And God decided to take Philip and place him someplace else. So someone else, like the Ethiopian eunuch, could hear the gospel who God was at work in their heart and be changed by the gospel. Isn't that good? That's what we're all about, right? Wherever we are, we have the same message as Philip. Well, we can't stop, can we? Because God didn't stop. And my prayer is that you, we will respond. We'll understand that God is the initiator of salvation. And we can trust him to bring about change in the hearts of people. We just deliver the message with the presentation of salvation. We come and present the gospel. We explain to them how they can be made right with God. And then we call them to respond to salvation. And then the result of salvation in our lives and theirs will be joy and the continuing preaching of the gospel. And I want to, respond, I want to call all of us to respond this morning to this. If you know Christ, if you have done what the Ethiopian eunuch did, you need to respond by taking the gospel to the world. And the world that you're at is right here, right now, where he has you. In your family, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, in your extracurricular activities, whatever they may be, is we have the greatest news in the history of the world. We have the news that the only news that really matters is to take it to people, wherever God places you. And, and if you respond to that in faith and you've never been baptized as a believer, I want to challenge you to do what God calls you to do. To obey Jesus and be baptized. And we're going to have a baptism coming up here. You got the date, Jared? It's October, right? In October. October 18th. 
If you want to be baptized, let us know. We'll make sure that we, we do that. We want you to obey the Lord in that. And, and, if, and if you are a follower of Christ, keep preaching the message of Christ. But if you're before, if you're in this situation maybe that the eunuch was in, and you're riding along and all this stuff is confusing, maybe you're reading the Word of God and you're like, man, I don't understand this. I don't understand this. Well, let me tell you what it's all about. It's about you being made right with God. And you must admit that you have sinned and missed God's standard. And you're not even close to it like none of us are. And yet God sent Jesus to meet his standards so your sins could be forgiven and be made right with God if you would repent from trusting in yourself and the deceitfulness of sin, turn from that and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You too can have the, God the Holy Spirit live in you and be made right with God and be forgiven. And my prayer is you do that today. Don't wait. Respond just like the Ethiopian eunuch did. Well, let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the clarity of your word. Lord, we can't miss the message. And Lord, I would pray that we would all respond by the power of the Holy Spirit to take the gospel to the world, beginning at home and then in our neighborhood and our workplace and this region, individually and collectively. Lord, I would pray for those in this, this room this morning as well who haven't responded to the gospel and they're still lost in their sin. Lord, you would open their heart like you did um, the Ethiopian eunuch so they could receive the gospel. They could embrace Jesus as their Savior. And, and those who maybe even done that but never been baptized, Lord, I pray that they, you would convict them and let them know you want them to be baptized to, in obedience to the Lord's command. And for all of us, Lord, help us trust in you. Help us trust in the Holy Spirit who lives in us to do all you've called us to do with great joy.